Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. I want to share a message that Pastor David asked me to share on this specifically because a few weeks ago in a leaders meeting, I, I kind of gave a word uh, out of Philippians 4. And uh, it really meant something to me at that moment, and it still does. And uh, Pastor David thought it might be good to share some of this with you. So I'm going to do that, but let's pray before we get started, okay? You ready to open your hearts? And here's my prayer always, whenever I preach, always has been, I think, that, Lord, you speak behind my words, above my words, around my words. God, I'm not interested in people hearing my words. I'm interested in people hearing your voice. So my prayer is always, Lord, speak to this people. And if you agree with that, then you have to listen deeper than what I say because the Holy Spirit's going to be talking to you. So, Father, we just come to you right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. God, we... We've encountered you already today, but Lord, we know there's something you want to do deeper inside us, Lord. Your word is the instrument that you use to change us, to transform our lives from natural to spiritual, to make something more than we could ever be in our own selves with our own abilities and strength. You have done, are doing something that only you can do in making us more like Jesus. So we open our hearts to you today and say, Lord, speak to me. In Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Well, excuse the glasses. I don't see as good as I used to. And Debbie says she doesn't like these glasses because I like them a lot because they're they're like bifocals without the bi part of it. You know, it's like I just look this way and I can read. I look this way and I can see you. So Debbie says, don't let them get too far down on your nose. I'm usually about like this. Is that okay? Offensive to anybody? Anybody going to be offended? Okay, go ahead and leave right now. No. <laughs> uh, only Tim would raise his hand on that. <laughs> so I want to read a little bit of a portion of Scripture where Paul is talking to the Philippians. And it has to do with some things that I think that God is speaking to the church at large, at large today. You see, we're, we're caught in a, a season, in an era, in a time to where traditionalism has kind of taken root in the church at large across America. Uh, Everywhere I look, and I've traveled to a lot of places, I see that people say, oh, that's just the way we do it. Or we do it that way because we've always done it that way. And we have to break out of that into a place where we say, Lord, it's your church. We are your church. We want you to do it your way. And we don't want to be in any way... um, intimidated or uh, hindered by what's done around us. We don't judge what's done around us. Listen, I don't judge any church. That's just people trying to find Jesus. Every church, it's the, the church is not the place, it's the body of Christ in that place. And so I just, I pray, but some places I've had to pray a little harder in my mind anyway, <laughs> because I don't see people free. I don't see people Filled with joy. In fact, the church today has got this kind of, uh, this kind of reputation with the world. That, ah, they're just a bunch of down people. It's such a downer to go to church. And I'm going, wait, 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 wait. That's not, that's not my Jesus. 
That's not my God. That's not my church. We want us, we want us to be alive with the joy of God. That's one of the things that God wants to let arise in our lives over and over again and to lift us, lift us out of those places. So we look at this place in this part in, in uh, Philippians chapter 4, and Paul's talking. Let me just read this to you for just a few verses, then we'll go back. This is Paul wrapping up the end of his uh, letter to the Philippians, and it was a powerful, we'll refer back one time to what he had been saying, but powerful letter. Um, but he says this, therefore, therefore means having said all of that, let me say this. Therefore, having said all that, let me say this. My beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodia and I implore Sintike to be of the same mind. I know I, I butchered those names. Who knows what it sounds like? I imagine Sintike is sitting up in heaven going, I wasn't my name. <laughs> but it is today, Sintike, forgive me. That I implore you, Odia, and I implore Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Let be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. If you receive that, just say amen. Let's read uh, Philippians 4, 4 together out loud. You got that one? with? We have it on the screen. Did it come up? It says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Let's start over again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It's interesting when he says this because he's saying this as a, a, a solution to the problem in the previous verse. And that was that these two ladies were having some sort of conflict in their lives. He said, be of the same mind, which means that they weren't of the same mind. They weren't in agreement with one another. Have you ever been in disagreement? Hey, sometimes it happens in your own house. If you're married, say amen. You know, God wants us to be in agreement, but we don't always stay in agreement. We slip out of agreement for a variety of reasons. I want to talk about some of those things, and then I want to talk about how do we maneuver ourselves back into the place where we can rejoice, because his solution to Yodia and, and Sintike's problem was rejoice in the Lord, always. Again, I'm going to say rejoice. So if that's the solution, how do we understand what that means? And in their lives, it must have been something to where, in verse 5, he said, let your gentleness be known uh, to all men, the Lord is at hand. He's saying, hey, ladies, or tell them, Tell those ladies, Jesus is coming back soon. Don't waste our time being in discord with one another. Find the place of agreement and find the place where we can rejoice. That's the answer. Find joy again. And that's the title of my message today. Is find, in fact, my series today is titled Finding Joy. Let your gentleness be known to all men. I think gentleness is something that when you start getting into conflict, 
you know. When you're in disagreement with somebody, have you ever noticed this? I, I, I see this in foreign countries, you know. When, whenever uh, somebody who's new to a foreign country, I love this with, about Americans. They come to a foreign country, and uh, the people speak a little tiny bit of English. So they start speaking English, and the person looks and says, what? And they, so instead of saying it again, they say it louder. Well, what I was saying was, <laughs> and so they think by getting louder, you're going to understand. And it's just like that when we are communicating with another person. If you're not getting it, what I'm saying, what do I do? I ratchet it up a little bit and let me raise my voice. Maybe you'll get it this time, Debbie. <laughs> seldom does that work. Oh, can I say seldom? I'm sorry, that was an exaggeration. <laughs> Never does that work. It doesn't work when you're speaking to somebody who doesn't speak your language. And I've often said in marriage counseling, guys, get ready. You're going to learn a foreign language. Because you don't know how to speak woman. But I also tell the women, hey, you don't know how to speak men. Man, it's a foreign language we have to learn. And we learn it all of our lives and become better and better communicators through it all. But the lack of being able to say what we want to say clearly and gently uh, leads us to an escalation. And, and these ladies, whether, whether it was an attitude that was there, whether it was words, I don't know what it was that was between them, but something was between them that Paul thought it necessary to bring some adjustment, some correction, some, some instruction would be a better word, to bring some instruction for them. You can get out of there. You don't have to stay in that place. Find that place of agreement again. And it really has to do with you, not the other person. Harsh, pointed words, attitudes. In fact, pointed words. Words can be, do you know what fiery darts are? You know when it says the shield of faith God's given us? The, one of our weapons of our warfare is the shield of faith where, wherewith we can quench all the fiery darts of who? The wicked one. But who usually throws the fiery darts? He uses somebody usually close to us, and we say words that get into my heart and it hurts me. We can be used by our words to hurt other people. And I'm sure there was a certain amount of that with Yodia and Sintiki, that there was something that they, with these attitudes and with the moving along, that words were spoken, words that did damage. Where do pointed or harsh words come from? What really causes that? See, pressure of life really starts to weigh on us. And when pressure, problems begin to weigh on us, it begins to push us down and we become more reactive in our life. When I find that I have to be more defensive just because I feel, maybe it's not D Debbie or anyone else, but I just feel like something's pushing at me, something's bugging me, something's driving me down. And I have to push back. But there's a way to push back, and there's a way not to push back. There's a, a thing I talk about to some people, <laughs> not everybody, but I went through a season of my life where I was very frustrated. In fact, I come from a family of ragers. My dad was a rager. He would fly off the handle and hit you with whatever he could find. And uh, my brothers are ragers. And I came to a point in my life where I said, I don't want to be that way, God. I need help. So I chose Sunday morning to deal with it, and I got up in front of the congregation. I don't know if you were still around, Tiffany, or if you were there, but I got up and said, hey, 
I want to confess something. I'm an angry man. I kicked my dog. Now, put your shield of faith up. They go, oh, that's so bad. You kicked your dog. No, no, no. I didn't just kick my dog. I kicked him across the room. He, he hit the wall. And I knew. I just knew. Something was wrong inside me, and I needed to deal with it. And so God took me on a little journey. And, <laughs> and it was good that I confessed that. You know, it's hard to confess something like that, even for me to say it here. It's a little bit, ooh. But when you say it in front of a group of people, and they're going to hold you accountable. I can't tell you how many weeks. Did you kick your dog? <laughs> Did you kick your dog? No, I didn't kick my dog this week. <laughs> Did you pray for me? No. <laughs> but listen, I understand, and God took me on a journey, that the frustration of life can take us and, and destroy relationships with that frustration. And frustration, I, I, the Lord said to me, I said, how do I deal with rage? He said, well, rage comes from anger. You get angry, and you let it go, and you keep getting angry, and pretty soon it's going to turn into, see, it grows in you. It doesn't just sit there and stay as anger. It doesn't just sit there and stay as frustration. If you don't deal with your frustration, your frustration will lead to outbursts of anger. If you don't deal with those outbursts of anger, if you don't deal with them, and most people don't know how to deal with them, well, God gave me the answer for my life, and maybe it'll work for you. It's very simple. Frustration leads to, well, let's do it in the opposite. Rage comes from anger. Anger comes from frustration. Can you see the connection? As it progresses, it becomes anger. Frustration comes from an unmet expectations. I'm frustrated because it's not working out the way I thought it would work out. I'm frustrated because they don't get it. Things are not, they don't, it's not the way I thought it would be. They shouldn't. It shouldn't. Whatever it is, frustration. And I started to deal with that with the Lord. Unmet expectations. Yeah, Lord, why shouldn't they? He said, no, no. The Lord spoke to me very clearly. He says, no. Unmet expectations are always, underline that seven times, always unrealistic expectations. Unmet expectations are always unrealistic expectations. And I went, are you kidding me? Why? Why can't I expect it to be this way or that way? Or why can't I expect them to do what's right? And the Lord spoke. He says, listen, you live in a broken world, broken by sin, filled with broken people, broken by sin. You've been broken by sin. How can you expect them to do what you can't do? And he said, those expectations always happen when you get your eyes off of me and onto people or circumstances. So how do you deal with rage? How do you deal with anger? How do you deal with frustration? You realize, you repent, you get your eyes back on God. I got my eyes off of you, Lord. Didn't David say my expectation is in the Lord? And we have to come back and say, I don't want to come to those places of conflict. And when there's conflict, it's always connected to some sort of frustration. Right? I mean, don't we say when we're having a confrontation with our wife, yeah, but if you just do, all you have to do is this. In other words, wives, come on. If you just listen, 
you always, this, you know, we always go to that always and never and all the, you know, absolute numbers in there. So, <laughs> I always, I never, that escalates it even more because that's frustrating. So, here's these two ladies. Paul mentions them and he says, I got a solution for your conflict. And then he goes on, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. To rejoice, to find joy again. The answer that he was giving these two ladies is if you want to resolve this conflict, don't begin to look at the other person if something has to change. Nothing has to change between you except what you're looking at. Find God again. Begin to look at God again. Find joy again. Rejoice in the Lord. The joy that has dissipated through conflict, problems, words, find joy. Joy is an interesting word in the Greek. The word Cairo means cheerful, calmly happy, glad, or well. It's an inner sense of something that's in there growing in me. It's there, but I never can quite put my finger on it. Another word that comes out of Cairo is joy, kara, kara, and it means cheerfulness or calm delight. I like that word a lot because out of that one word, kara, comes so many really neat words. Charisma. When we talk about the gifts that God gives us, that's the word charisma. When we talk about a gifted person, that's the word charisma. And we also use that word in English calling that person charismatic. They have a very charismatic personality. What's a charismatic personality? A personality that attracts other people to itself. What attracts people? What attracts people to other people? I should never raise, raise hands and take answers. <laughs> I can't do that. Listen, joy is a major part of that. Who do you want to be around? A down, bummed out, depressed, drag you into the mud with them person? Or would you rather be around somebody who's bubbly saying, hey, isn't this a great day? Man, we serve a great God. Everything is possible. God loves us. Wouldn't you? That attracts people. What is that in you that attracts people? It's joy. It's something that you've discovered inside you. It's there. How does it get inside you? Well, I'm going to jump ahead of my scriptures. No, I won't. I'll read, I'll read both of these. Romans 14, 17 says, The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The realm of the Spirit The realm of the spirit, joy is a part of that. Joy is something, hey, it's got to be in the heart of God, wrapped up in who he is, joy. He's love, joy, peace. God has got this charismatic personality that draws every person. We want to be like that, but we don't know how because we're broken. We need to find the answers. Lord, how can I? How can I be joyful again? And he said, wait, wait, wait. That's not the question. 
Because if you read the next verse, look at it on the screen, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, oh, gentleness, by the way, we were talking about that, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. You can be that way without anybody looking at you funny, saying you're breaking some law. You can't smile like that. You, you got to be tougher than that. You can't just take that. And you smile. You smile. And let me tell you what. A smile breaks the back of darkness. If there's one word I want you to walk out of here today with that relates to joy is a smile. <sighs> How often do you smile? And I'm not talking about when people around you, you know, you're, yeah, I'm fine. I had a bunch of uh, recovering alcoholics, AA people in my church one time, and uh, they'd always ask me, Pastor, how you doing? And I'd say, fine. they go, ah, fearful, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. We know. How are you really doing? <laughs> well, I'm not fearful, insecure, neurotic, or emotional. Thank you. <laughs> but how we look at life really, really really makes a difference, really makes a difference. It's not us that have to find joy. It's for us to make a place for joy to arise in our lives. It's to us to give place to the Holy Spirit in our lives and let him come through the, as, as he does, it's a fruit. It grows in our lives. It rises in our lives. And what is fruit for? What's the neatest thing about fruit? In every fruit, in, in uh uh, Genesis, it says, there is a seed, multiple seeds usually. And so in the fruit of the Spirit, there are seeds of joy that when they come grow up in your life, they begin to pour out around you, and joy begins to get into other people's lives. Let me tell you, you can become contagious. And I'm not talking about with the flu or a cold or any of that good stuff, bad stuff. <laughs> I'm talking about the essence of life, who God is, the spirit, the fruit, what he produces in our lives. And how does he produce that in our lives? We're going to talk about that. But I want to point out three things right now that steal your joy. The thief comes to steal for the only reason, to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But the problem is there's things that happen in our lives and there are things that we do that allow the enemy to come against us. It gives them a legal right to come against us. Because if we have sin in, how many of you have sin in your life? Everybody, wait a minute, let me start over again. Everybody raise your hand. Okay, you got it. <laughs> we all sin. But the point of sin isn't that we don't. The point of sin is that we don't stay in our sin. We repent quickly. I say this all the time. Repent quickly. It doesn't hurt as much. If you don't repent, it's like going out on a tangent. You know, you go out on a tangent. You, you get off this nice freeway road. and You take a, a, a little I see that mountain over there I want to go to. It's across all the bushes and all the rocks and all that. And you start driving across there. About a half a way there or about an hour into, you realize, I'm never going to get there on this. I need to get back to the freeway. 
Now, instead of taking, if I'd have done it really, first of all, all I have to do is take a left and get back on the freeway, or maybe it's just a little bit too far. Now I have a little bit of bumping, and now I've got to go as far as I've just been to get back on that. It's not painless. The further we go in our sin, it becomes more dramatic and more traumatic to turn back to God. So if you repent quickly, I'm telling you what, Somebody said that Apollo, when they went to the moon, was off course 98% of the time. 98% of the time it was off course. How did it get to the moon and back? Well, they had these little air jets on the side of them, whatever they're, some kind of jets. They just said just one little pssst, and it would put it back over a little bit. With every little adjustment, with every little adjustment, it kept it close enough on track. You're never going to be perfect. You just want to keep coming back on track. And you'll get to where God wants you to be. But you have to do it quickly. The longer you wait, if they would have waited for 10 minutes, they would have been so far off course that it would have been taking a rocket blast to get them back on course. We have to have quick adjustments in our life, quick repentance in our life. How do you repent? Tears. Crying out to God are probably only necessary if you've gone too far. I don't repent that way. I just went, oh, Lord, forgive me for that. I didn't mean that. I don't want to stay there. God, bring me back to you. And he does. He's faithful. He's not only faithful and just to forgive our sins. He's faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us. From all unrighteousness. You know what unrighteousness is? Whatever I do or think that causes me not to be in right standing with God. Not to be, righteousness is right standing with God. The only way I'm standing right with God is through Christ, right? So I have to come back to him and I have to say, Lord, you take this. You be the Lord of my life. I want you to run my life. Show me how to walk through all of these things. And he does. He's faithful to do it. Turn back to God quickly, because if you don't, things can get rough. If you don't, darkness, darkness will settle in. If you don't, you've opened the door for the enemy to come in and beat you up. Who needs that? And yet we do it. And we wonder why I'm depressed and why I'm down and why I just, I feel so horrible about myself. Because I haven't repented. Unrepented sin, unrepented sin is what steals the joy out of our lives. Sin will influence, it will, you know, affect our joy, but unrepented sin opens the door for the enemy to come in. Repent quickly and let God restore the joy that the enemy was stealing away from your life. Spiritual oppression is the result when we don't do it. Spiritual oppression. Uh, Discouragement. How many of you have ever been discouraged? You know what that word means? Tear the word apart. Discouragement. You need courage to do this Christian walk. Didn't didn't God tell uh, Joshua three times? I got to count those because sometimes I'm not sure. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and courageous. And then he said one time, be strong and very courageous. We need to be courageous. What is courage? You've heard the heroes talk. What is courage? Courage 
isn't some feeling that I get that I'm just going to run out of my foxhole and rescue that guy that's being shot at or has been shot. Courage is just the willingness to do it. You don't know what the outcome's going to be, but you're going to just get up and you're going to go do it. You're going to help somebody. You're going to do something. Courage is just doing it. Just stand up and be counted. You don't know how it's going to turn out. If you're a hero, it means you probably lived. <laughs> but if you die, so what? You're with Jesus. We can't be afraid of death. In fact, Revelations tells us that they, the church, overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb, which has already been settled, and, by the, and they loved not their lives even unto death. We can't be fearful of death. We know where we're going. There is no other way around it. I'm not afraid to go to heaven. I might be afraid of a little bit of the pain to get me there. Even Jesus was a little hesitant when he said, oh, let's see. He knew what he was headed for, scourging, a cross. He knew what he was going. He said, oh, Father, if it can happen, take this cup uh, from me. This looks really scary to me. However he said it, you know, he was Jesus. So, But even he said that. There's always a hesitation when we think of the suffering part of sacrifice. But let me tell you, courage is something taken away when we don't repent of sin. It robs us. The enemy gets in there. The second thing that steals joy from our lives is un, or excuse me, is circumstances. Now, let me say this. Circumstances, um, joy isn't dependent on circumstances. Understand, it's a fruit of the Spirit. So it doesn't, it doesn't come from having good circumstances. Oh, everything's going, how are you? Oh, everything's going good. I feel so good about life. Okay. Fearful, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. How are you really doing? <laughs> it's something deeper than my circumstances. It's something deeper than my feelings. Joy comes because the I've, committed my life to God. I put my eyes back on the Lord, and it rises within my life, and I look for it. I look for it, and I give place to it. How do I give place to joy? What's the number one thing you know is going on when you smile? And I'm not talking about smiling with your teeth showing. I'm talking about smiling from your heart. Put a smile inside you. Reach deep inside and say, oh, God, you are so good to me. I love you. You can't do that without getting in touch a little bit with the joy that's growing inside you, that he wants to be manifest, not just for you, it's a fruit, but to bear fruit beyond your life to every person that you come in contact with, to be a charismatic person. That's what God wants you to be. Circumstances can influence our joy. If we look at our circumstances either as pressure or as an opportunity to grow. Uh, pressure leads me to this oppressive darkness place. If I look at my problems and I say, oh, I can't go through this again. The devil just jumps right on that and he'll keep pushing you down. He'll keep pushing you down until you rise up against him. And say, greater is he who's in me than this stuff that I see around me in the world. You guys okay? So I do I look at my problems as pressure 
or an opportunity to grow. That's that hope-filled trust that we call faith. That there's something more real about what I see than what I see. There's a God who I can't see that's actively working in my behalf constantly, and he'll use whatever comes my way. God doesn't protect us from all the problems in life. In fact, there are times when he cuts them loose on you. He wants to prove you. He wants to prove himself to you. Do you trust me? I'm working in you. I'm making you more. You're stronger than this. Get your eyes on me. Lift up your eyes. That's why Peter and John, who was it in the prison cell at midnight? Paul and Silas, Peter and John, one of those, one of those guys. I, I didn't know him personally, but, you know, I mean, I remember him. remember him well. <laughs> in jail, in the inner, that's called the dungeon, inner prison, Hands chained to the wall, already been beaten, in pain, alone, realizing I'm probably not going to make it out of this alive. And what were they doing? Praising God. Worshiping the Lord. (laughs) They knew something that everybody else didn't know. And they weren't afraid of it. They probably had just experienced the hardest part of getting to Jesus for eternity. The rest of it would probably be just a a quick axe through the neck or something that wasn't as bad as that scourging and all the stuff that they'd been through already. But they were lifting their heart to Jesus and praising God. There's something deeper that if we reach out and get a hold of it. Listen, who's disqualified from that? I can't do that. What are you talking about? These are fishermen. So many of these guys were just nobody, tax collectors, the despised people. Jesus went around and said, okay, raise your hand if you're despised. Come on, follow me, right? If nobody likes you, come on. Yeah, you, you. He wasn't looking for the doctors and the lawyers and the, you know, he was looking for the us, the me, the broken people that were willing to get put back together again, who desired something bigger in their lives than just the circumstances and the realities that they had in their lives. God can do it. He does it. And we're all sitting here as evidence and proof to other people around us that God does do it in our lives. An opportunity to grow. James said in James 1, 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Say that. Count it all joy. You're not going to like the rest of this. When you fall into various trials, one version, one verse says, tribulation. When you have problems that are big in your life, that they press you down, They weigh you down. They drag you down. Problems that are unsolvable in life. Count it all joy. Why? It's pressure. No. That's not the way you look at it. You look at it, this is an opportunity for you to grow. And God would not have allowed that to happen in your life if he wasn't going to give you the strength. God will not let anyone be tempted above what you is able to stand, but will with every temptation make a way of escape that he may, able, may be able to bear it. God's enough for us. It doesn't matter what your problem. How many of you face a couple problems right now? How many of you have a good passel of problems? That's, that's Southern, isn't it? Passel of problems? 
I remember that from my Louisiana days, my Louisiana days. I got a parcel of problems. If you have a parcel of problems, you're in a good place because now is an opportunity for you to grow a big amount. The harder the problem, the more the growth is. And it's not like you have to go through it smiling and cheerful. It, it's not like that. You can go through it whimpering and as long as you put one foot in front of the other and you don't reject it and you lift your eyes and say, Lord, I can't do this without you. Isn't that what Jesus said? Father, I can't do this without you. So if you have problems, passable problems, what a great opportunity for you to grow. How you view those problems, how you go through, walk through those things is what determines the outcome of that. When the problem is over, what do you look like? Do you look like a depressed, manic person with no joy, and I just can barely walk? Somebody pick me up. <laughs> or do you come out of this, and you might be going like this, but you're automatically, when the problems are passing, you're standing up straighter and straighter and straighter. I don't know how I made it through that, let me say, God brought me through. We acknowledge God in all of that. We acknowledge him in the middle of our problem, in the middle of the fire. Even through the fire, I'm alive in you. Is that what the song said? Uh, I don't know where I'm at with time. Uh, <laughs> that, oh, there's my cue right there. <laughs> Debbie's got, I'm saying, what would I look at back there? It's Nate. Can you give me like 20 minutes? No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm ready to wrap this up, but I just want to go to one more, all right? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith provides patience, produces patience. But let patience have its per perfect or maturing work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What a great promise that is. An opportunity to grow an opportunity to mature. As we grow, pressures or problems become special times for us to rejoice in. Paul was talking earlier in Philippians, and I was going to point this out. Philippians chapter 2 says this. He's talking in the same letter to the same people that he ends up saying rejoice. He says, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad. He's glad to face death. I am glad that I'm being poured out. I'm ending my life. I'm glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. It's hard to see somebody suffer. But if they're going through it in a way that they're growing and that they're honoring God, then we should honor God with them. Whatever it is, lift them up, support them, encourage them, even in the face of death. Find joy, the fruit of the Spirit, and let it grow in your life. The last thing we want to look at is sickness. The thing that steals our joy, sickness of body or soul. It doesn't mean 
that every sickness is like of the devil. Every sickness, oh, if it's sickness, it's of the devil. No, no, sickness can happen. But I'll tell you what, the devil will use whatever he can to get in and oppose you. And just because you're down and you caught a, a virus or some, some disease and you got it, it doesn't mean you have to live it. You don't have to live under that. You rise up within that, around that, through that. We go right through those things and we say, I'm bigger than that. I've watched people die trusting God. Well, if, as long as, I mean, didn't everybody here die? <laughs> and weren't most of them in the books that we're reading trusting God when they died? Didn't Jesus die? Was he trusting God when he died? See, that's not the point, whether they make it out successfully. The point is how we go through this thing. And are we honoring God and living with God through all this? Are we victorious in all of these things? Have we taken the opportunity to grow? Sickness has to do with our resistance or what we call our immune system. When our immune system's down, we're more exposed to sickness. And the way that we get our immune system up is, well, physically, we need rest, nutrition, and exercise. Isn't that right? We need these. In a spiritual sense, we need worship, the Word, and works. Right along with that. Rest. We rest in the Lord when we worship. We rest in Him. We're refreshed in our worship. The Word is nutrition for us. It's the bread of life. We need the Word. And our exercise isn't just the weights that I push around. Our exercise is the good works that we do that God leads us to do. We are actively involved in this spiritual life God's called us to. So lift your eyes above your circumstances, above sickness, above dis-ease. You know what disease is? Dis, you know what the word ease has to do with? Ease has to do with wellness. It's the word Greek word sozo. It comes from the Greek word sozo. That's our word for salvation. I am saved, sozo, I am well. And the enemy wants to work against that wellness by bringing things into my life and then turning them against me to oppress me. I refuse to be oppressed with the things, the circumstances or the sickness that I go through. Salvation means to be delivered from the, uh, the power and the effects of sin. The power of sin is bondage. The effect of sin is separation from God or hell. We've been delivered from that. Find joy again. Now I'm going to give you these next three very, very rapidly. Find joy again. Do the right things. Three things, really quick. Three things to do to find joy again. Pray. Verse 6, it says, ask. You can go back and look at that scripture. Ask with thanksgiving. What does it mean to ask God and thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is counting your blessings. When you come to him, you can begin to thank him for how many good things has he done in your life? And when you're down, lift your eyes to God and say, Lord, thank you that I'm saved. If you don't know anything else, every time I say that, thank you, Lord, that I'm part of your family forever. Every time I say that, tears come to my eyes. There's something so powerfully true and freeing. It goes deep into my life, and it nurtures that joy, and it causes it to grow again in my life. Pray, ask God with thanksgiving in your life. Be filled with the Spirit. Remember, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And often it is diminished because we are not filled with the Spirit. 
Paul said in Ephesians 5, 18, do not be drunk with wine wherein is what? Dissipation. It might feel good for a little while, but wine dissipates. It just goes away. But I'm going to tell you, joy goes away too if you don't fight for it. It doesn't go away as quick as wine, but it goes away. But be not drunk with wine wherein is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That be filled with the Spirit is a word that means be being, continually being filled with the Spirit. Why? Because dissipation is a reality in our lives. We need to be filled with the Spirit. There's much more reward and fruit in the Spirit that He produces in our lives than there is in anything else we'll have in this world. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to the God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking to yourselves. Yourselves means you and other people. The word literally means not just one another. It means speak to yourself and to other people. Over and over again, we lift our hearts to God because he said to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's worship. I'm going to tell you, one of the biggest tools you have is worship. That's what Pastor David was saying. We need to learn how to worship when we're not here. Wherever you are, you can lift your voice in thanksgiving. You can lift a song. In fact, if you're going through a particularly rough time, your home should be filled with worship music. Your car your headphones should be filled with worship music because it drives out the darkness and it makes a place for the Spirit of God to arise in your life. And the last one is the Word. Jimmy Evans said, read what you need. I like that. Find an answer to your problem. Or look for a scripture that's the opposite of what you're going through. If you're going through a hard time financially, well, go and find scriptures that said, the Lord is your provider. Hold on to those words and put them, write them down someplace. Really get it around you. Get the word around you. Let, put it on your doorpost, it said. Put it on your, you know, on your refrigerator. Put it wherever it needs to be there all the time. On every device that you have, get the word. Because the word's going to restore joy in your life. You need to do this. Replace the lie with the truth. What does Scripture have to do with it? My words, Jesus said, are spirit and truth, right? You need to get the truth because you believed a lie. So we go back to the place we started. Rejoice in the Lord, always. And again, say rejoice. Can we say that again? Or say that together? Rejoice in the Lord, always. And again I say rejoice. Say it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Would you stand with me? Listen, I wanna I wanna pray for you in just a minute. Because I think that God is speaking to you. Probably all of us. And I want you to know this that if you're down at all. It's because you've been listening to the wrong voice. You've been listening to the lies. And a lot of joy has been dissipated because of that. I want to take a minute and pray and to reclaim that joy. To take back from the thief what he's taken from me. 
How do we do that? Simple. James 4, 7 says this, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. But you need to do it. Could you close your eyes for just a minute? And I want you to repeat something after me as a response to what you just heard. Say this after me. Father, I submit myself to you. I thank you for loving me. Devil, I resist you now. Get behind me. I'm coming through to do everything God has for me to do. Devil, you can't stop me. I reject your lies. And Lord Jesus, I thank you for the victory that you've already won for me. I accept it as mine. I stand in you, and you stand with me as a victorious, joy-filled overcomer. And I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.